can't tell if the chemistry is good by looking at it. It wasn't clear yesterday. For the last time, the saltwater pool is a chlorine pool. This is the Talking Pools podcast with pool pros from every region in the country. If it happens in a pool, you'll hear about it here. Everything from tips and hacks to the latest tricks and trends, breaking news. We lay it on the line. We tell it like it is because we think you deserve to know. G'day folks, welcome back to Mondays Down Under on the Talking Pools podcast. My name's Peter from Australia, joined by Shane. G'day Shane, how are you mate? You doing pretty good, thank you. Yourself? Uh, yeah, yeah, big uh, big night last night, so um, I might speak a little bit slower than normal. I, uh, I helped a customer out and he gave me a uh, a gift that was a sample, a sample pack of eight different beers and... Uh, Opened the first one and thought, that's really nice. And might try the next one. And that was really nice. Next one, that's really, really nice. And next thing I know, uh, there are eight empty cans next to me. So, um, yes, yes. Oh, nice. Yeah. Probably paying for it a bit too much today, though. So I'll uh, I'll keep that one in mind. How's your week been? Yeah, pretty full on. The weather's been nice, which is good. Um, it's almost like the start of autumn and it's pretty much the start of summer in Auckland. Okay. But the it's, yeah, it's very bizarre at the moment. So, um, yeah, the fellow has been bringing non-stop this week, which is good. But, uh, lots of leaking pools. Um, okay. It was an interesting one that I went to this week. Brian had just moved into his house two months ago. Um, and it was, it was just before the floods started and the other cycle come in mm. and, um, sent me an email and he was saying, you know, the, yeah, the pool's been leaking since, uh, the bad weather. So I went around there. Um, you could believe something see that this pool was old, wow. um, inside the skimmer. It's an old WA-72. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're very mm-hmm. old cracking. So whoever's fixed it in the past, in the last 15 years, I would say, they've got plenty of epoxy on there, and it's just epoxy on epoxy. Gunk it up, that's the way. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah. There wasn't leaking, now. to do gunk it down. And then uh, I had a look in the bottom of the swimming pool, and there were these three big black sheets. I don't know what they were. I asked the customer if it was someone that belonged into the pool. He said, no, the previous owner put patches on the bottom and, you know, alarm bells are ringing. And then these, these big, big black rubber strips are like 30 centimetres long. About um, a foot, yep. Almost, yeah, um, by about 10, 15 centimetres wide. So um, ended up diving down. Two of them started lifting off, and there was the biggest split in the bottom of the pools I'd ever seen. They were they were, they were literally the size of this black patch. 
So I yeah, just explained the situation to the guy and said, you could, you are going to need a new liner ASAP. Um, was on the news that I wanted to hear because they had just bought the house two months prior. The house had already been flooded. They've got electrical issues. And unfortunately, I've given them some bad news saying that they need a new swimming pool now. Yeah. yeah. It didn't go down too well. That's why I'm a big believer in encouraging people who are buying a home with a pool to get the pool inspected mm. by a technician. Uh, I do a lot of those inspections. I've got property managers, real estate, uh, buyers agents, a lot of settlement agents, and they call me because I go out there and I'm very, very blunt. And if there's a problem with a pool, I mention it to them. Uh, I put it on a detailed report. Uh, something that needs attention gets the little warning sign, you know, the, the red triangle with an exclamation mark in it. Uh, a couple of times I've also put a skull and crossbones uh, symbol on there. Basically, this is a major hazard. Uh, one was a customer, actually, one report, I did about three or four of those skull and crossbones. One of them, uh, you turned the light on in the pool and it would start, you could hear a crackling noise from just above the surface. So it must have been really fizzing in there. Um, and you'd see steam starting to come off. Uh, so I said, right, I've actually disconnected it from the transformer, which I, I'm not there to do any modifications, but if something's a major safety risk, I'll uh, deal with it if, if possible. Uh, they also had a media filter on that one. Uh, the type where the MPV is held down with dome nuts uh, onto some threaded bars, bolts, that are uh, built into the filter, if you know the type I mean. Yes. And a couple of these dome nuts were missing, and a couple of points that actually cut off. You could see they'd used a grinder to cut off these bars. I said, look, there's not enough um, uh, not enough securing points. If this thing powers up, if the pump powers up, if the system pressures up, who's to say with these existing corroded bolts on there, who's to say the whole thing's not going to launch? Uh, I read a industry bulletin a couple of years ago. There was a technician started up a uh, system with a media filter. The bolts on the MPV were rusted, and the thing blew apart. He ended up with a big cut in the side of his face, just missing his eye. Uh, so the same thing happened to my brother. He wasn't injured, but he blew up an MPV. What it was, it seems, is there was hydrochloric acid stored in the equipment shed, yeah. fumes from it over time it corroded this metal weakened it and it just reached its breaking point Scary. so that's something i always look at at a uh when i'm inspecting a pool yeah, uh, yeah. because look i don't want to inspect a pool and then you know three weeks later the whole thing blows up yes so uh, your, uh, your pool inspections is that a big thing in western australia not big enough. Most people get a building inspection and a yes. pest inspection. Some people also get an electrical inspection. So basically building structure, things like termites, uh, and of course electrical uh, compliance. Yeah. I encourage people to get the pool checked. I did one recently, a, a suburb called City Beach, which is a, a very nice suburb, uh, one of the wealthier, more affluent areas. And there was a $7 million house. I found about $17,000 worth of faults with the pool. Um, dodgy repairs to tiling, half the lights didn't work. The pumps were all installed lower than the water level of the pool, but there wasn't any sort of shutoff valve. 
you know, gate valve or uh, three-way to stop it from water from leaking out when you took the lid off the pump to empty the basket. Just poor, poor design. Mm. Um, so the other benefit of it, I mean, it's not particularly expensive. I just charge hourly rate for the inspection and writing the report. Yeah. But the seller will very, very rarely deal with the problems I identify. The right. buyer invariably calls me back to fix problems. And of course, they're all there. They know that these are problems. You don't have to go through the whole, oh, look, this is an issue, that's an issue. It's on the report from before you bought the place. Yes. Uh, if you want to try to claim it from the, the vendor, the seller of the home, then that's between you and the settlement agent. But after settlement of the house, no chance. Yeah. Yeah, they don't seem to be um, hugely popular from what I've what I'm aware in Auckland. So there is a few um, companies down there which do advertise it. Um, but yeah, just it, it, to me, it seems quite bizarre. You know, you buy a house with a swimming pool, you know, at least get that one checked at the same time. Oh, yeah. And a lot of the building inspectors will go out and they'll just turn it on, say, oh, yeah, the pump starts up and leave it at that. Mm, uh, yeah. My reports are pages long. Look at the pool shell, the structure. Uh, yes. Look at all the, the skin fittings, you know, the PVC fittings on the, the skin of the pool, the, the shell. Um, skimmer box, cleaning equipment, all the built-in pool equipment, uh, yes. pumps, filters, chlorinators, uh, lights. A lot of lights out there aren't working. Uh, so I'll see what the problem is. The globe, light, cable, transformer. I'll work that out so they know exactly what's what. Uh, I check every fitting on the equipment, every union, every... Anything that could possibly leak, I check for any sign of a leak. Uh, the only thing I don't do in these inspections is underground uh, testing for leaks in the pipe um, because that's often, yeah, it, it's not that common a problem and uh, very rare that we uh, we have to deal with that. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So how did you go with the vinyl with the repairs in it? Uh, not happy about it? Yeah, I mean, it, I ended up peeling off the um, um, two of the black rubber pieces. Um, they were just held on by some form of silicone. Um, it easily piddled off. It was, it was literally like chewing gum, bubble gum, just pulling off the bottom of the swimming pool. <laughs> um, you know, I showed the, uh, the owner of the house and he's, you know, he was just like, please, can you just try and put a patch on there? At least we can try and get through for a couple of weeks um, while he speaks to the insurance company. So, yep. And then I cut on the patch, you know, 40 cent, 30, 40 centimeters long. Um, shit loads of vinyl glue on there. Um, and yet, right in the report, uh, you've, sp you've spoken to the client and you've said that this isn't going to hold. They do need a new pool ASAP. So at least it's covering myself and covering the tracks. Yeah. Now, sometimes you just have to take the approach of, look, repair isn't a viable option. I've got one yeah. pool I uh, got called out for a green pool recovery. And as I was scrubbing it initially, I thought, ooh, you couldn't see underwater. It was that green. I thought, yes. this wall feels a bit funny. And uh, did an alum treatment, cleared it up. Well, I think mm. the next day I went out there. And I saw that one wall of the pool, uh, fiberglass, about 40 years old, uh, one wall of the pool had bowed in. 
which is nothing unusual if people empty your pool and the ground pressure around it, the weight of the dirt pushes it in. But this one, it had almost started to fold over itself and a crack was forming. Uh, at, at this point, it's basically a crack in the gel coat. I don't think it's structural because it was holding water. But uh, I just stopped work immediately, contacted the property manager because it's a rental home, and I said, look, this pool is failing structurally. It's a big risk. It's not suitable for use. Uh, basically, don't let anyone swim in it. And I cable tied the gates, the gates to the pool area shut, uh, zip yes. ties. Um, and I just said, look, this this is not. I wouldn't even attempt to repair this. The only viable option is removal. Yeah. And then she uh, got back to me and said, oh no, the um, owner doesn't want to remove it. Can you quote on repair? I said, no, it's just not an option. Uh, I'd also spoken to three people who specialize in uh, fiberglass repairs. And I mean, my background is in fiberglass pools. Yeah. I spoke to three other people who, uh, that's all they do, sent them some photos and they just said, no, I'm not going to touch this one. Too much can go wrong on a 40-year-old pool suffering that much damage. Uh, add to that, it's in an area with a high clay content in the dirt. Right. So when that gets wet in winter, it's bone dry now. When that gets wet in winter, it's going to expand and cause all sorts of uh, problems. Uh, and it's in a high water table area, so there's every chance if it's drained, it could pop. So the uh, owner got back to me through the property manager saying, oh, can you just drain it and we'll leave it until we can deal with the repair? And I said, no, no, we can't just drain it and leave it. It'll pop. Structurally, it will be catastrophic structural failure. Uh, I said, I can't stress enough how dangerous this pool is in its current state. The only viable option is to quirk uh, it out. Fill it up, fill up with sand with dirt, compact. You need engineers to certify it. Uh, it'll need to go through council in that particular area. And um, she said, oh, well, what's involved in that? And I said, well, the first thing to do is fix the bloody collapsed soak well in the driveway so we can get a machine in. Uh, first time I walked into this job, uh, stepped on these uh, concrete slavers, uh, slab pavers, about a foot and a half square, and I almost ended up in the soak well. And the tenant said, oh, yeah, I should have told you about that. And I was like, yeah, that would have been yeah, good. Broke my foot last year and almost broke my bloody other leg this year yeah. on that job. Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, it's very, um, very important that everything's in writing. Yeah. And stand your ground. Uh, don't, I mean, yes, we all like to help a customer and uh, uh, make things as easy as possible for them. But in cases like this, no, look, repair is just not a valid option, especially not for the long term. Yeah. Well, I had an interesting one this week that I've never seen before. I was replacing a pool light. I'm nothing unusual about that. I do several a week. And uh, uh, this particular type of light, the way it mounts, it's got a little hook on the bottom of the sealed light unit goes onto this little bar at the bottom of the mounting bracket, so surface-mounted light, and uh, that little bar always breaks. Mm -hmm. And pull this light off, and I uh, undid a little screw holding it at the top, pulled it off, and my first thought was, they've set fire to this light. It was all brown at the back. Look closer, it was actually a sheet of lead flashing. 
had obviously been put there. It had been cut in a roughly circle shape, bits folded over so the uh, uh, cable-holding clips were accessible for the cable. Yeah. I've never before seen somebody use lead flashing behind a light in a pool. All I can think it was was to add some weight to it so that it would sit. The weight would hold it in closer to the wall. That's the only thing I can think. So now I'm frantically trying to find any information about any dangers of lead in water. Uh, the water on this pool was extremely corrosive. Uh, I think I spoke about this one a few a few episodes ago. Uh, when I first went out there, very corrosive water with a chlorine level of 16.7 or thereabouts. Um, uh, and when I first got there, I just said, right, don't swim on this pool. I'll be back tomorrow morning. Right now, I'm getting some sodium thiosulfate in there and starting to balance it. Uh, and got it all good by the, uh, by the next day for his daughter's birthday party, which was a pool party. So he thinks I'm wonderful. Um, but, yeah, so uh, also trying to find somewhere, a laboratory that can do a lead test. Uh, very hard to find testing equipment for lead. Uh, unless I want to spend hundreds of dollars, which I can't justify for one pool, especially given I'll probably never use it again. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's more the most common things to test for in pool water. No, I mean, enough of the guys out there struggle getting their balance right. Uh, half the guys out there don't seem to understand LSI. Yeah, yep. It's, um, it's an interesting one from what I've seen as well in New Zealand. Um, been in the industry since 2015, working for a couple of different companies. Um, and even speaking to people nowadays on the road and seeing different reports coming through at new clients that I'm taking on. Um, I don't know if you'll say if you ever go to a new client um, and you're speaking with the client and they, you know, they explain what's been going on, if they're having issues with their water balance, etc., Always like to see some of the reports that have been sent through previously. Um, but yeah, to this day, um, I just don't know of any other company out there which checks LSI in swimming pool water. It's just, it's, it's your chemical ranges. Nah. Uh, and that seems to be, you know, standard as it, as it should be. But um, LSI is just, from what I've heard, it's just, it seems very unheard of. Yeah, uh, the commercial pool training here does include covering uh, LSI yes. uh, to a point. Uh, I think they should put more focus on it, especially given their commercial pools, so a wide range of people go in them. Um, but when I go to a first-time customer, the first thing I always do, uh, I uh, I look around the area first. Uh, I'm a big believer in looking around the pool because it gives you a lot of information about what you might be facing. Then visually look at the water and always, always test it before I do anything else. And I'm quite up one with the customer. Sorry? When you're, vis when you're visually looking at it, is this, um, are you trying to get up to that level of the... Um, <laughs> of the I've been doing this so long, I don't need to test the water. I can just look at it and see what it needs. <laughs> Dickhead. That guy's a complete <laughs> disgrace to the industry. Uh, no, I want to see, you know, is there any algae in it? Is there cloudiness? Is there anything I need to be aware of? You know, if they stop piranhas in there, I don't know. Um, 
just just having a look. And <laughs> this same pool, the one uh, with the lead behind the lights, uh, the one with the very high chlorine and corrosive water, I got there and the water was unbelievably clear. Right. The only time you ever see water that clear is if it's got borates, often with magnesium, uh, yeah. which makes the water phenomenally clear. Uh, but very, very few people here use borates. Uh, the other thing is if the water is so damn corrosive. And on this one, it was that corrosive, coupled with an insanely high chlorine level that just oxidized anything in the pool. And I said, that's really clear water. I don't trust it. And the customer looked at me, he said, what do you mean? And I explained the, um, I've got a way of explaining balancing water to customers. Right. So what it is, I pull up an app, which is, it's called Hot Tub and Pool. Now, I've never tested the calculations. I haven't checked that it's accurate, but as a visual aid, it's really helpful. So for those watching, not just listening, I'm just putting up a, sharing a screen. Um, that's a screenshot from the app uh, that I found online. It can use uh, Langelier Saturation Index. Uh, I used to call it Langelier, but then I got my ass whooped by a French guy at a training course. It was, oh, it is not Langelier, it's Langelier. So since then, I've just called it Langelier in case. Uh, whatever your name is, French dude, see, you taught me something. If he's listening. Uh, it's also got Pecoria Scaling Index, uh, which seems to be very similar to the LSI, yeah. but the numbers are different. Uh, same, similar end result is largely to check the buffering capacity of water. So it's got five sliders on it, uh, temperature, total alkalinity, calcium hardness, TDS, and pH. And as you move these sliders along, it changes the number and calculates uh, what the saturation index number is and if the water's balanced, corrosive, or prone to scaling. So that's, it's just a very handy app. And this is how I explain it to customers. Uh, I know it's not as technical as it could be. Uh, Wayne did a, an episode on Testing Thursdays recently uh, where he goes into balance and really, really great uh, great episode, really covers some good information in it. So if you're a customer, what I would say to you is the thing to remember about water and the key to understanding balance is this, pure water isn't gentle. Forget the cosmetics commercials where you see someone splash their face and they're all smiles because it's so pure. Pure water is an aggressive chemical in its own right. It has an appetite to dissolve stuff. So what we do with balance is we create an environment where it's not going to start dissolving random stuff. If we go too far, it can reach supersaturation. It can have more, be holding on to more than it wants. It's going to deposit that stuff into the water as a precipitate and often scale on surfaces. Uh, so I then go on to explain, as we go through this, the first thing is temperature not something we have a huge amount of control over unless the pool's heated. Uh, it's 
just needs to be factored into our calculations because in chemistry, temperature affects everything. Uh, does one, how does that vary in Western Australia from your uh, summer to winters, temperature-wise? Uh, Non-heated pool, quite often we'll see them in the low teens uh, Celsius. So yes. let's say we say about 12 Celsius to hell. Okay, I'm using a conversion calculator here, and it just gave me the resulting Kelvin. I thought, there's no way it's 285 Fahrenheit. Um, so low 50s Fahrenheit. Uh, summertime, it can get up to the mid-20s. So that's, uh, what, 25 Celsius is 77 Fahrenheit. So not an enormous range. Uh, the hottest I've ever seen was a pool running at 45 Celsius. That's 113 Fahrenheit. He had his blanket on and his solar heater running uh, with a faulty probe, so it couldn't tell the roof temperature. Uh, he had that running. The weather that day was over 40 Celsius. Uh, so what's 40 Celsius? 104. Would have been probably about 110 Fahrenheit that day. Uh, and the water was that damn hot. It was uncomfortable to even stick my hand in. And the reason he called me out, it's quite a funny one. He called me out and he said, I've got a real problem. I said, what's up? He said, I've just dropped uh, 10, uh, 10 kilo, I think it was, bucket of chlorine in my pool and I've got a pool party tomorrow. Now that was Cal Hypo that he dropped in. Uh, 10 kilos is 22 pounds. Mm in about a 20,000 litre pool. So what's that, 5,000 gallons or something. So fortunately, I carry sodium thiosulfate, which is another thing a lot of people don't carry. A lot of people out here have never even heard of it. Don't ask me why. Uh, so I went out there and um, did that. Uh, really nice fellow is uh, Indian family, and his parents were staying over from India on holiday. And they said, oh, you've come out, you know, it's lunchtime. You must be hungry. And next thing I know, his uh, mother from India, who was staying there, who happens to run a restaurant in India, brought me out this big bowl of curry. And I tell you what, the food was amazing. You remember customers like that. It was just gorgeous. Anyway, back to water balance. We certainly went off the, um... ah, yes, temperature variance. So we need to factor that in. Um I tell them, then get your pH right. I always aim for 7.4. You want it 7.2 to 7.8. Uh, I always aim for 7.4. Uh, I've read in a few sources that is about the pH of human tears. So let's get rid of eye irritation. We look at total alkalinity. And I explain to people one of the functions of total alkalinity is buffering pH. It'll keep your pH stable, stop pH bounce. Then calcium hardness. I say this is one of the things that water likes to dissolve most. It loves calcium. So by maintaining good calcium hardness, 200 to 400 parts per million, uh, in a rendered pool or tile pool, anything with water or render or something containing calcium, I aim for 300. Fiberglass or vinyl, I normally aim for about 200, 250. Uh, there is a big myth uh, that I think should be completely destroyed. There's a few places that test that say in a fiberglass pool, you don't need calcium because 
uh, there's no calcium for the water to dissolve. You only need an arender or a grout pool, uh, pull the tiles with grout because it protects that. I've seen plenty of fiberglass and vinyl pools that have been corroded out by corrosive water. Uh, they've been yes. attacked. If water can't find what it wants most to dissolve, it will find something else. Have you ever put calcium into a pool and raised the calcium hardness and had people say to you, oh, the water feels so much softer now? Yeah, because it's no longer trying to dissolve you. <laughs> Simple as that. One of the causes of skin irritation. Uh, yeah, the water was trying to dissolve you. And again and again, I get people saying, oh, it's, uh, it, it just feels so silky. It's, it's wonderful. It's like, well, yeah, that's how a pool should be. Yeah. Uh, and then TDS. Uh, TDS is often a funny one here because the predominant system is salt. Mm -hmm. And, of course, salt uh, is a solid that dissolves and therefore falls under TDS. So we get pools often well up in the thousands on the TDS. And that's outside of the limit of this particular app. But that's how I explain it to customers. And you can mm -hmm. quite often see the little light go on in their eyes, like, oh, that makes sense. Uh, the other thing I say when anyone mentions um, balance when I'm discussing it, I, I often start by saying, now, some people will tell you they've balanced the pH and chlorine. Those people know nothing of balance. They are not to be trusted. Um, yes, I understand that pH and chlorine levels must be looked at to ensure pH is suitable for chlorine activity. If you've got a pool with a pH of 8.2, um, your chlorine's just not going to be very active. It's not going to do very much. Uh, that's another advantage of having it 7.4. Your chlorine's ready to attack those nasties. Uh, but in and of itself, chlorine doesn't have any uh, effect on, any notable effect on balance. Right. That said, the type of chlorine you use will have an effect. If you use a saltwater chlorinator, your pH will go up as a result of the electrolysis. Uh, more to the point of it, producing hydrogen gas, which doesn't dissolve as readily, so the sodium hydroxide that's performed, uh, that's produced, uh, doesn't have anything holding the pH down from its effect. Uh, Calhypo, you've got calcium. I've been to pools where people have used Calhypo for years, and their calcium hardness might be I've seen it six, seven, eight hundred on the calcium hardness. Uh, dichlor and trichlor. Uh, you're adding stabilizer with the chlorine. Cyanurates can build up over time and become a problem. Uh, I like to keep my cyanurate 30 to 80 parts per million, with the target being 50. I find that very effective. When it starts getting above 100, I have seen a few pulls with, uh, with some problems. I'm not going to say chlorine lock because I don't want to make enemies. But um, when you see a pool with the, the cyanurate level up around the, the two 300, which I've seen quite a few times on first-time pools, uh, yeah, chlorine, your chlorine level needs to be very, very high to be effective. Yes. Yep. Uh, and, of course, liquid chlorine, sodium hypochlorite, uh, that's largely made in the same way as a salt chlorinator. Uh, it produces it. It's very salty. Uh, they store it at a higher pH. It's got a high pH because of its production method, but they don't bother about bringing it down because they don't want that chlorine to be active in the drum. 
So it will raise pH in the water over time. It will also raise TDS because there's a lot of salt in it. And when you go to a pool with a uh, liquid chlorine feeder that's been running for years, you'll often see, you know, two, three thousand parts per million of salt in the salt test. Yeah. Makes it really easy to convert to a uh, saltwater chlorinator. Sure does. I'm I mean, not even going to ask what that noise was. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm in my speak room of curry. Yeah, I'm next to a main rose. Oh, okay. It did sound, sound like something a little bit old, didn't it? Yes. I'm going to blame it a little boy. Yeah, blame the dog. Blame the dog. That's what I always do. I don't even have a dog. Still blame it, though. So, yeah, that's my take on uh, balance, and mm. that's more to the point, my take on how I explain it to customers. Uh, yes. They don't need to know about bicarbonate alkalinity and cyanuride alkalinity and carbonate alkalinity. No, I just say alkalinity or, or TA to them. Yeah. Um, calcium hardness, we also find with the increase in magnesium pools, uh, mineral pools, uh, we also find that magnesium hardness has to be factored in as well. Right, okay. Uh, so your uh, your total hardness uh, is affected by magnesium. Yes, yep. But uh, magnesium is actually an interesting one. Uh, there's a lot of proprietary brands. Some of them don't disclose what their uh, mineral blend is. Uh, I don't use any any chemicals on my own pool or a customer's pool if I don't know what's in there. Because uh, yes. you don't know if you're going to open the floodgates for major problems if there's some sort of reaction. But yeah. uh, went out to a job some time ago now, and the water was really clear, except there was one patch. There was a swim out, like a shelf, in the hardest part of the pool to get to. It was built right up against a uh, the wall of the house. And I said, have you added a flocculent to this? And he says, no, why? And it turns out that this very light... Uh, it looked just like an alum. Flock had settled some impurities down. It's, his pH had spiked upwards and caused magnesium hydroxide, I think it is. Rudy, help. Uh, I think it's magnesium hydroxide. But when I opened the robotic cleaner to clean out the basket, there was this almost, think of it like a dusty gel. Uh, it was magnesium uh, again, same stuff. I think magnesium hydroxide. Um, and it had built up in there. And yeah, all that was caused by his pH spiking. Yeah. So on a magnesium pool, which is still a salt water pool, which is still a chlorine pool, you've really got to uh, maintain your pH extra carefully so you don't end up with this problem. Right. Okay. Yes. You mean, I think I called you a couple of weeks ago in regards to an issue that I was having at somebody's property with a cell you remember there was um oh i i get a hundred phone calls a day <clears throat> yeah but surely peter I should be top of that list for memory oh it's blah 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 every time you call <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. sorry mate couldn't resist <laughs> but um yeah this this uh cell cell um had some major white um Yes. Got on the plates, um, try out acid washing it, and nothing, you know, there was no, it, it wasn't dissolving it at all. So I'm a little bit puzzled 
what it is, where it's come from, allowing so yeah, there's a little bit more research on this. Well, I mean, the, the balance sort of water's been fine, but oh wow, it's been fine for six months. Any phosphates? Um, there has been in the past. Uh, there wasn't was on the last. It's a regular. There hasn't been on the last visits or four from memory. Because I thinking about it. I remember one job I had, and I had problems after I treated phosphates with lanthanum chloride. Whether there's a correlation or it was something else, I don't know. And what I did in that case, because again, it just didn't want to dissolve. And remember that the chlorinator cell uses electrolysis. That's how they do metal plating. So anything like lanthanum could potentially plate onto the cell. Uh, and right. everything in the water is affected at some level by electrolysis. Um, uh, we do our nice little equation to explain to people, look, salt and water goes in and out comes chlorine and hydrogen and hydroxide and sodium. But everything that goes through that cell to some point or another is affected by electrolysis and reactions right. to occur. But what I do when they're really, really stubborn, or even if it's soft buildup, and I want to speed the process up, I get a wooden or plastic skewer or chopstick and use that to push the gunk out between the cells. Never use metal because you'll uh, scratch the, the cell coating, uh, often titanium and so forth. Speaking of cells, do you ever carry stocks of chlorinator cells? Uh, no, just because there's quite a vast um, selection of the bark in here. Yep. So, you know, you've got your zodiads, you're going to Haywoods, you're going to Pensairs, you've got your water cows, you're in Synergy. Um, Some of those brands are really good. Some of them won't touch them. Uh, having major problems with a chlorinator from uh, one particular brand, uh, they just don't seem to get it right. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's no local service, no local parts. That rules it out. It's not one of my five criteria for recommending equipment. But um, I'll often carry uh, four or five of the most common, uh, or one each of four or five of the most common cells. Yes. Uh, I mean, you look at an Astral uh, V or E-series, they're everywhere. So if I get an E25 cell, yeah, I know that... There's a lot of them out there. It's good to have just so I can replace it there. And then happened yesterday morning. But uh, with cells, quite often what I'm finding is, again, if it's especially corrosive water, I find the cell will actually, the plates will actually start to corrode away. And um, that can be a, a big problem with some of them. And by then, the fact it started to corrode, acid washing is just going to really, really accelerate its failure. Uh, but wash, cleaning cells in acid isn't something we have to do commonly because for the last 20 odd years, most of them have been self-cleaning. Yep, yep. Uh, I do have one customer, though. I reckon his cell must be 20 years old. Uh, it's a particular design that was made by Chloromatic. Don't know if that's a thing in New Zealand. Chloromatic, uh, about, I think it was 16 years ago, it was bought out by Davy. But prior to then, it was run by the French family, John French. Uh, they are 
they were really professional, really great to deal with. And some of their early cells were cylindrical, uh, so not plates, but you had an outer cylinder and an inner cylinder of mesh. And I've got one customer that's still got one of those. And I said to him, this thing must be 20 years old at least. And he said, yeah, it'll be at least that. So um, not self-cleaning. It's producing chlorine like a beast. I've never seen one last that long. They'll make a lot of use these, don't they? No, well, my record's 14 years on one of my uh, on a cell on my own pool, uh, at the end of which time the pool got demolished. And um, uh, so I started a uh, backyard renovation, of which we will not speak further. The reno from hell. I'm going to get rid of this. Uh, images. I look forward to be able to jump in the bloody pool. I look forward to firing up the pizza oven. I, I, yeah, it's... Uh, just no time at this time of year to, to finish yeah. things off. So is it, uh, would it be planned to be finished this winter? You I'm hoping to... so. Yeah. Yes. Actually, this afternoon I've got to go and make a couple of modifications to the uh, uh, some of the fencing, the boundary fencing, because it um, council came out and uh, did an inspection. And uh, they said, oh, this doesn't comply, that doesn't comply. I said, why aren't you pointing out this thing? Oh, no, that doesn't matter. That doesn't, that's not a concern. I said, well, it is in the Australian standard. But all the different councils have got their own interpretation. Yeah. Uh, and that's an important thing going back to the topic of pool inspections, uh, pre-sale pool inspections. I'll check to see if there's anything glaringly obvious uh, you know, uh, but I'll put on there something to the effect of, although this fence appears to comply, only an inspector from the city of Joondalup, whatever, uh, can um, uh, can issue a certification of compliance. Right. Uh, so that covers me. I will say uh, it's something occasionally like, uh, although this appears to mostly comply, this here is an issue of concern. You know, the gate doesn't close itself. I had one the other day. Gate doesn't close itself because the grass outside the gate is too long and the gate catches on it. Right. But still, you need to speak to the, um, the city of whatever. Yeah. Joondalup, for example. Oh, we've got some good place names here. You do. You do have some fun memes over there. Upper Swan. Upper Swan? Upper Swan is the name of a place here. Uh, Swan River, and this is just on at the higher end of it, so uh, Upper Swan. Uh, Inaloo. Inaloo. Getaloo. Getaloo. Inaloo. 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 It's a, uh, one of the suburbs here. And, uh, yeah, but we could go on with that. Uh, Australian place names is a path you don't want to go down. Go down, Iron Knob. Oh, Iron Knob. It's uh, was this, you know, this could have been the person that installed that iron part in the swimming pool. Oh, the lead part. Well, the lead. Oh, lead. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's um, you see some strange things out there. Anyone who says they've seen it all, I think, no, nah, just. Keep going. You'll see more. Just when you think you've seen it all, out comes a surprise like this. 
Well, that discussion certainly went all over the place, didn't it? Sure it is. Mm. How's the little one doing? Wanting attention? Uh, yeah. Hello. Stuff in your face with bread. Hello. How are you today? Yep. Got a wave. Oh, don't chew with your mouth open. No one wants to see that. Yeah. This is... This is one of the good things that he does. <laughs> hey, mate. All right, all right. Keep going. Mm, Mr. Mischief, I think. Oh, yes. Mm. At age nine, mate, two and a half. Yeah, well, my uh, my boy's ten now, and uh, he's always been mischievous, and his mischief is going more from the type of mischief you could laugh at to the stuff like, don't smack your sister. <laughs> so, uh, we've got all of our coming, so he's Jew, and uh, we've got a little girl, Jew and Jew. Jew and Jew. So, you've got to have to be the good big brother. Mm, how's mum doing? You want a sister? Okay, sister's coming, don't worry. Yeah, she's better today. Ah, good. Fantastic. <laughs> I think we've gone on enough of a roller coaster discussion. Really, um, really good to uh, talk as always. Uh, anyone listening out there, if you'd like to hear something particular about the pools or the pool industry in Australia, New Zealand, uh, contact us via the Talking Pools Facebook group. Uh, there is an email address, I believe it's talkingpools at gmail.com, and that'll get forwarded to us if you inquire that way. But in the meantime, you have yourself a bloody good week. just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening today. I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Listen, it's been a couple of wacky, crazy, screwed up years from pandemic to Poolmageddon. I just want you to know that we are all in this together. If there's anything that we can do for you, send me an email at talkingpools at gmail.com. Again, that's talkingpools at gmail.com. We're here. This is your podcast. We are the Pool People's Podcast of the Pool People, for the Pool People, by the Pool People's Podcast. This one is about you. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Do me a favor. Click subscribe before you go. That way you don't miss an episode. 